Good afternoon, and thanks so much for joining us for Managing to Make a Difference. I'm Kimberly Shirk. I'll be your moderator for today's show. I am joined, as always, by co-authors Larry Sternberg and Dr. Kim Turnage. They are our experts on management techniques, the research behind them, and why effectively implementing them can really make a difference in your organization. Today's topic for discussion is all about embracing change, and we're... um, This is in totality describing three different chapters of Managing to Make a Difference, chapters 62, 63, and 64. Um, I'm really excited about today's topic. Um, It's so prevalent in our society today as the pace of change has really rapidly increased over the most recent years. And, you know, change management is a really hot topic in management and leadership today. So, to kick this off, Larry, what's your perspective on change management and, and really how to approach it? Well, I think the thinking about change management needs to change. In years gone by, and quite recently, when I say years gone by, I mean over the past several years, uh, the mental model about change management has been this, that change management is only something organizations have to do sometimes, that most of the time organizations are going along normally day to day and they they don't have to think about managing some sort of fundamental change. And then something happens every once in a while and all of a sudden the organization or a portion of the organization is in a change management mode. And then all the leaders and managers run out and brush up on their change management uh, tactics and skills. And I believe that thinking is, is now uh, not accurate in describing our current situation in the world. The pace of change has accelerated to such a degree that there are very few instances when an organization can sort of uh, glide along after some change. Disruption number one happens, disruption number two happens, and by the time you've adjusted to disruption number one, you're dealing with disruption number two. Your company is being acquired by another company, a new technology comes along, a new market opens up, the Chinese decide they're gonna commit themselves to uh, battery-driven automobiles and, and Whereas there was there were eight companies previously working on this, the Chinese have 140 different companies working on battery-driven automobiles, and your organization has to now adjust to this. So the, the old thinking that managing change happens only periodically, I think that needs to be put to rest. We we're in a we're in a soup of continuous change, and so managing change has to become part of our everyday thinking and our everyday behavior. And we just have to accept that. And so the title is Embrace Change. So managing change and embracing change to me are two different things. Can you talk a little bit about then how you move toward embracing change? Well, you don't move toward it. You just do it. Uh, Embracing change is part of managing change. Unless... We, Kim Turnage and I, want our listeners and the readers of the book to be firmly rooted in reality. And so, in my opinion, reality is 
that change is now happening all the time. And you can decide to not like that, and you can decide you want to deny it and hold your breath until you turn blue uh, and stamp your foot and say, I don't want to change. Or you can decide to accept reality and just say, I'm going to embrace it because this is reality and everyone will be better off. And when I say everyone, that's everyone you serve as a manager or leader. That's your employees, that's your board of directors, that's your shareholders, and that's your customers, clients, patients, whatever word you have for the constituency that your organization is serving. All those people are better off if you accept the reality that change now is, is a constant so in terms of embracing change and just kind of the undeniable reality of this is the world that we're living in right now, Kim, what comes to mind for you? Well, you know, the, the title of this first chapter is Embrace Uncertainty, Be Confident, Instill Hope. And all of those things are what managers and leaders need to do. We're talking about embracing change as an undeniable reality. Um, uncertainty is an inescapable part of um, an accelerated rate of change, which is what we're all living with today. And so as leaders, to embrace that uncertainty rather than to fight it, to be confident and to be seen by the people we're managing and leading as confident in the face of such uncertainty and to instill hope in other people in the face of that kind of uncertainty. That's what great leaders do. It's what managers who make a difference do so that the people they're managing can effectively work through that level of uncertainty in that constant flux. There's a quote that you mention here in this chapter, and it says, courage is not the absence of fear, but courage is moving forward despite the presence of fear. Let's talk a little bit about that. Well, that actually could have been a quotation. Uh, I learned this from a gentleman by the name of Joe Via, who I brought on as a human resources director. He was just coming out of the U.S. Army as a full bird colonel. He had done two tours of duty in Vietnam as a ranger. And this guy, I assure you, is one of the most courageous individuals I have ever had the pleasure to meet. And it wouldn't have occurred to me that he would, this guy wasn't afraid of anything. But yet, he, he's the one who, who helped me understand that courage is not the absence of fear. As the, so it, it's, a, it's something I learned from uh, an extremely accomplished and talented leader. It's moving forward anyway. It's fear is a feeling, and in any time in life, whatever our situation is, we have to recognize fear is just a feeling, and we don't have to let fear dictate our behavior. Why do you think in this um, critical time of quick change, fear is what comes to mind in terms of new things that are coming our way rather than opportunity? Well, it, if, fear of the unknown is, uh, I, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not a, a doctor or a psychologist, and I don't play one on TV either. <laughs> and and but, but 
I, I think fear is built in. Fear of the unknown is built in because I think it has survival value. When you're back on the savanna uh, 30,000 years ago or 40,000 years ago, uh, fear is very, I mean, it can be very health, health, healthy. Uh, so I think fear of the unknown is, is kind of a natural response. And what I'm saying is we don't have to let it control what we do. We can move forward into the unknown anyway and look for those opportunities because they are there. When change occurs, there are, there are aspects of it that can be very painful. Uh, you're gonna, many people are going to lose something they value. But you also have to recognize that new opportunities will occur because of the change that weren't there before. And what, what, just to give you an example, on a macro level, think about how many jobs exist today that didn't exist even several years ago. We have a Salesforce administrator in this company, and that's a job that didn't exist a few years ago. Uh, so there, and all the, all the people who make their living in uh, social networking, uh, you know, those jobs didn't exist 10 years ago, uh, or maybe only two or three of them existed, but now uh, they're everywhere. So as things change, new opportunities arise, and that's just one example of, uh, you know, think of how many people are employed uh, in things related to Bitcoin. Um, and, and so forth. So new opportunities arise. Mm -hmm. Kim, what comes to mind for you? As Larry is talking about fear and and your question is is really good, Kim. I, I think that what we have to do all the time, and we have to do this in our conversations with people. This is part of building trust and relationships with people. Our primitive animal brains are designed to keep us safe, and they are the first reaction to any kind of uncertainty. Um, And so what Larry's saying is to overcome that, what we have to do is sort of consciously engage the newer parts of our brain, the frontal lobe, that allow us to do that more executive, um, planning, analytical kind of thinking so that we can stop just reacting to what's outside and start figuring out how we're going to deal with it. Um, And sometimes that is a process that needs to become very conscious and intentional because our old brain and those impulses that very often activate fear are extremely powerful and can run away with us and push us into responding in ways that aren't in our best interests. And I, I'd like to point out, as I have before in this podcast, stress arises from resistance to what is. Very interesting. So as we move in through these cultures of constant change, I think some of the things we have to prepare for as individuals is what is our capacity for adaptability, right? Yes. And some people I gather would be stronger at that and others not so strong. So as a manager, how do I help my teams embrace that? Uh, that's a terrific question. And I, I see that we don't really have enough time to, get, to give that question uh, the attention it deserves. So as we come up to a break here, uh, I'd, I'd like to uh, 
engage in this conversation with you and with Kim Turnage uh, after the break and see how we can help them answer that. I think that's a great idea. So we'll take a quick break. Reminder that you can purchase copies of Managing to Make a Difference on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or if you want them for your entire organization, we encourage you to go to 800ceoreads.com. They can even brand those books with your company organization for a special event or something like that. So we encourage you to do that. We'll take a quick break and be right back with Managing to Make a Difference. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. When managers make a significant impact, their teams are engaged, motivated, and excited. They love what they do. When those people work for you, you get results. Results matter, and people drive results. At Talent Plus, we've assessed millions of people over decades using our rigorous science to predict successful on-the-job performance and cultural fit with an organization's mission, vision, and values. Our online assessments and person-to-person interviews not only identify talents, but uncover a roadmap for success from a person's first day on the job to the day they retire. When people celebrate their talents, use them daily and think about how to lead with their strengths, they help their companies grow, produce, and innovate. Want to learn more about empowering your people to help you do great things? Visit us today at talentplus.com. Asked to manage your teams but wonder when or how? Join Talent Plus on-site with us or at your corporate office for a seminar built just for you. Leadership Toolbox focuses on individual engagement, talent and fit, team dynamics and growth, and creating a strength-based culture. This interactive, seminar-style format is just the set of tools you need for world-class team performance starting now. Reserve your spot today at talentplus.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Managing to Make a Difference this afternoon with Larry Sternberg and Kim Turnage. Uh, We've been talking about embracing change and um, that in this reality of nonstop change for all organizations throughout the world, uh, it's just really an adaptability question. And some people are more prone to be able to adapt very quickly than others. And so the question I kind of left um, all of our listeners here with and and our listeners our hosts as well, is how as a manager 
of a team, how do you help people embrace that adaptability or embrace team members that might naturally be more gifted at that? Kim Turner. So we yeah, we, we left off talking about fear and, and how it's such a primal response and how it leads people to react. And I think one of the most important things managers can do is to bring that out into the open. Look, when change is imminent and when people can see it, but they're not exactly sure what it's going to be, uncertainty is high, fear is even higher. And managers who can bring that out uh, give people a way to talk about it in a positive way, um, give people a chance to voice their concerns, and then be partners in figuring out what we're going to do about it together. That's a really powerful strategy for helping people manage through that kind of uncertainty and fear and turn it into that, something positive. Yeah, I, I'd like to add to that. Uh, in, by giving people permission and making it safe for them to voice their concerns, you shouldn't label them with some sort of negative label like you're, you need to get on board. You're not getting with the program. You're, you know, all of a sudden managers can get frustrated with people because they've done what they've been taught to do, which is they have explained the change. They have explained why the change is happening. And they have explained how everybody is going to be better off. This is happening right now with the new tax plan. Uh, and this is what happens when it's, but none of that stuff removes the fear. And so if, if you don't make it safe and acceptable for people to express those concerns and their fears, et cetera, and their doubts, it goes underground. The fear doesn't go away. It's just that you make it unpleasant for people to articulate it uh, and possibly even dangerous if you're, if you're thinking about disciplining them or punishing them in some way. Uh, and so it doesn't make the fear go away. It doesn't make the conversation go away. It just takes place in the bar after work where you're not present to help them think it through, uh, as opposed to allowing it to take place in a public forum where you can contribute your point of view, but you've got to validate the point of view of these people because this is a normal human response. And as you say, some people will embrace it more rapidly than others. Their people have an appetite for change. And uh, they don't like the status quo. Uh, they're always looking for what's the next thing and what, how are we going to make things better and what are we going to do differently and those kinds of things. But there are people who are, are just less, they're, they're not wired quite in the same way. And they take more time to adapt and adjust. And and some people are slower learners than others. And in times of change, learning agility is very important. Uh, and one more point I'd li like to make, which is related to the fear and the doubts and the concerns, is that when a fundamental change occurs, certain people are going to lose something they value emotionally. Whether or not they can agree intellectually that the organization is going to be better off. It's going to serve its clients and uh, customers and better. Uh, I'm going to be better off. I get all that, but I'm still losing something I value. Suppose, for instance, 
you're in a family where one of the uh, spouses gets a new job that is their dream job and pays three times as much as they were making in their current job, but it requires you to move. And you have kids who are about 14. Um, they can agree with you that everybody's going to be better off for all the reasons we could all name, but they're losing something they value. One of them might have been one of the best basketball players on a team in your town of 15,000 people, and you are now moving to Chicago, uh, and they probably won't be one of the best basketball players in Chicago. The odds are against it. And so they're going to lose something that they have valued emotionally. And this happens with your employees is what I'm saying. And so we need to have compassion. We need to understand that people are going to grieve the loss of something, despite the fact that they agree that intellectually everything is, things are going to be better, but I'm still losing something. And we can't, uh, we can't trivialize how that's going to feel to a particular person in a, in a particular, and we can't say to them, you shouldn't feel that way. The feelings arise unbidden from the heart. And telling people they shouldn't feel that way is, I, I assure you, unless you're talking to the Dalai Lama, it's a non-starter. It's so interesting to me that that's the example that you brought up that actually happened to us, right? My dad took another job in another state when I was probably about 13 or 14. We were moved every two years or so. And what I heard you saying was communication is a huge key. And I remember it as clear as day. Every time my parents would say, we're going to have a family meeting, it meant we were moving. (laughs) And we all knew a family meeting equated, okay, we're moving again. And but the fact that we could communicate about it, we could talk about it, where would you like to go, what are you going to miss, all those things like that made it made the transition even easier. And I think that works in a management situation, too. Uh, Interesting. Kim, there's another side of that as well, which is it's hard when you're sitting on the side where you're looking at this change in the future. It's hard to think about what it's going to look like on the other side. All you can think about is what you're going to lose. It's much more difficult to think about how things could be different. We went through a similar situation. We moved our children when our oldest was 13 years old. And um, four years later, that child who we were the most worried about and who was the most resistant to moving said to me, I'm so glad we moved because I have better friends here than I had before. And I have better teachers and coaches who really care about me more than I had in the town that we lived in before. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's may- able to see on the other side what that means. You're making me want to move. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, and, and here's what I want to add to what you just said. Many, many people have had a life experience just like that where they were afraid of the change, resisted the change. And when they came out on the other side, as they look back on it, they're, they're thankful that that change occurred. We have to help people access those life experiences in, in a time of change where they're now doubtful and, and, ha- and ask them the question, do you remember a time when things changed dramatically for you? And, uh, it, 
it, it, it was painful. It was scary. But you know what? You were better off. Do you remember a time like that? And with respect to our children, we have to help them uh, capture that so that they remember it. That's a life lesson that they can take with them. And just about everybody listening to us has had a similar life lesson where things have changed. And while they wouldn't have asked for the change, it occurred and they were able to say, wow, uh, I'm, I look back on it and, and that might have been one of the best things that ever happened to me in terms of what, what the way my life is now. And, and for instance, uh, almost every time when somebody gets fired, almost every time they find a better job, it's painful. They wouldn't ask for it, but when it happens to them and they are forced to go out and find another job in nine times out of 10, they find a job they like more and that pays more. Uh, and and that's that's an interesting example. Now, I can assure you that if somebody just got fired and I'm giving them this little speech, this is completely worthless emotionally for them. They're still frightened. They're still upset. It doesn't help them emotionally to know all these things intellectually. But that's the point I was making earlier. You have to allow people to feel their feelings. And when it comes to communicating, whether it's in your personal life with your kids or your business life with your people, we tend to think about communicating as what we're going to say. In this situation, it's about listening. Listen, listen, and then listen some more to what these people are telling you about their concerns and their fears. And hopefully, once, they're, once they find it, safe to tell you those things, you can start talking to them about what the opportunities are going to be and get their suggestions. Well, as long as it's a time of change, what suggestions do you have? <laughs> and, um, and that goes to the, the next issue that uh, I, I want to invite Kim to discuss with us, and that is um, how giving people control of what's going on what kind of control can you give them in a time of change? Because one of the things that's making people feel bad is it's happening to them. And uh, they, they don't feel like they're in control. But there are ways that managers and leaders can give people some degree of control of what is happening. I think that's going to lead us really beautifully into the next segment where we move to Chapter 63 called Encourage Suggestions and Have an Appetite for New Ideas. So let's hold on to that. We're going to take a quick break. I do want to remind you before we go to the break that you can visit our website at managetomakeadifference.com. There you're going to find additional materials and exercises that go along with the different chapters in this book. So um, be sure and check that out. Um, you can also order books straight from there. So we'll be right back with Managing to Make a Difference. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Asked to manage your teams but wonder when or how? Join Talent Plus on-site with us or at your corporate office for a seminar built just for you. Leadership Toolbox. 
focuses on individual engagement, talent and fit, team dynamics and growth, and creating a strength-based culture. This interactive, seminar-style format is just the set of tools you need for world-class team performance starting now. Reserve your spot today at talentplus.com. When managers make a significant impact, their teams are engaged, motivated, and excited. They love what they do. When those people work for you, you get results. Results matter, and people drive results. At Talent Plus, we've assessed millions of people over decades using our rigorous science to predict successful on-the-job performance and cultural fit with an organization's mission, vision, and values. Our online assessments and person-to-person -person interviews not only identify talents, but uncover a roadmap for success from a person's first day on the job to the day they retire. When people celebrate their talents, use them daily and think about how to lead with their strengths, they help their companies grow, produce, and innovate. Want to learn more about empowering your people to help you do great things? Visit us today at talentplus.com. In your business, are you on top of your PR game? PR is what tells your story. Whether it's the business itself, key people in your business, or showing your best face to the public, listen for the Brand Ambassadors. Host Merritt Hamilton Allen with co-host Gary Potterfield will discuss effective presentation ideas, building your personal brand, risk management, crisis communication, and more. Focus your business goals and PR resources. Listen live Fridays at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Managing to Make a Difference. We hope you've been able to join us for the first half of our show as we continue this great discussion about embracing change and um, even in Chapter 63, encouraging suggestions and having an appetite for new ideas. We hope that you will be a part of this discussion as well. And if you have questions or concerns or things that are happening in your organization you would like us to address, all you have to do is click that button um, that says email host right above the podcast description, and we'll get that information and we'll be sure and address it in future podcasts. So I wanted to remind you that within this book, it's a real hands-on tool book. We've actually heard that they some people wish it was spiral bound so they can mark it up and, and flip it and really use it as a workbook. And that's because in each chapter, there's a lesson and an experiment that you can really walk away with some tools to affect your management techniques today. So we hope to, that you will pick up that, your own copy for that and for your entire team. But let's get back to this topic of when people have to embrace change, they have to adapt. 
and there's a way for managers to help coach them through even possibly giving them control of certain aspects of the change. The change may be non-negotiable, but the aspects that they can adjust for themselves. And so, Larry, would you explore that a little bit with us in terms of how managers can help their teams do that? Yeah, I mean, some of the some of the negative emotions that come up in, in times of change, and remember, I think this is now all the time, is that people feel uh, that they are out of control. They didn't get to make the decision that this change, whatever it is, was going to occur. And, you know, people in the recording business didn't get to make the decision that the iPod was going to be invented uh, and that we were going to progress from uh, 33 and a third LPs to eight track tapes to cassette tapes to the disappearance of cassette tapes. And so if you're running a record store, you know, you, you, you don't have any of these things anymore. They're, they're you know, uh, and, and th- those kinds of changes were occurring in that particular industry. So, but they do get to decide. There must be some things you can let the employees decide. So listen, we're not going to have uh, 33 and a third LPs anymore. And we're now going to have just cassette tapes. You guys can decide how they're going to be organized. You can decide a lot of things about how this store is going to look. Well, you can't decide is that we're going to keep the 33 and a third LPs and not have cassette tapes and and not move from cassette tapes to discs and from discs to hard drives. And uh, now, uh, you know, it's all on your iPhone and and, uh, you're playing on an Internet radio. So, um, all of these things. So you've got to find some ways to give people decisions that they can make so that not only do they feel like they have control over some aspect of their work, but they do, in fact, have control. And that control can give them some satisfaction that, oh, look, I did this and it's working and so forth. Uh, so that's that's often challenging because the manager needs to trust his or her people, that they're going to do things that work. Kim, there's a a lesson on page 244 of the book. I wonder if you um, might just kind of explore that for us. I think it's really valuable. Yeah, and and before we go to the lesson, I want to help us make a little bit of a cognitive shift. As I'm thinking about what we've been talking about so far in terms of change, we've been talking about change that's coming from on high almost. It's like the organization is going to change. And the reality, though, is that some change happens that way. Some change happens because you, as the manager or leader, decide that it needs to change. Some change happens because your boss says it's going to happen or because the market forces change and you have to change. But there's other kinds of change that happen. And there's change that can come to you from the people that you manage. And if you're going to be a manager who makes a difference, you need to embrace change from that source as well. And that's really what this lesson is about. So I'll just read it straight from the book. When an employee brings you an idea, you are in a learning moment. Don't shoot it down. Make time to discuss the possible consequences, both good and bad. Be open to the possibility that it might be worth a try. And if you engage in an open-minded discussion or if you try the idea, someone is going to learn something, and it might be you. That's a a unique thought, I think, um, 
It's a great thought for a lot of managers. I think they um, hold the responsibility of being the generator of the ideas very close, I think, for some managers. And to think that ideas and innovation can come from any level of the organization, um, I think, is a real exciting opportunity for many managers to think about. Uh, I think so, too. And I've heard Larry ask this question many times, and I'd, I'd like to hear him discuss it in this context. The question is, why should you care where an idea comes from? So, Larry, what do you say to that? What I say to that is there's plenty of times when you should care where an idea comes from. For instance, if you're thinking about uh, if you've just had some sort of cardiac event and you're thinking about what kind of diet will be the best and healthiest diet for somebody who has just gone through a cardiac event, uh, and you have your next door neighbor who is a cab driver giving you advice about your diet, and and who has not had a cardiac event, by the way, uh, who may have caused some cardiac events, but hasn't had (laughs) one himself. And so your neighbor is giving you advice about your diet, and your, your doctor, who's a cardiologist, and has specifically studied the the way diet affects someone's heart health is giving you advice about your diet. You want to place more weight with the expert. I get that. But uh, so there are times, there is no question that there are times when you want to consider the source and decide how much weight you want to give to uh, uh, the, the particular idea. However, In too many instances, somebody considers the source in a not very wise way. So the manager who has been doing this for 30 years is getting a suggestion from an 18-year-old employee who uh, this is her first job. And the manager is considering the source. And here's what the manager says. I've been doing this for 30 years. I've tried that. It doesn't work. We're not going to do it. Nobody learns anything under those circumstances. And you've just shut down that employee. And I I want you to think about, I'm going to give you a hint as to what the right answer is. I'm going to ask a question. How many more suggestions do you think that employee is going to make? Here's a hint. Zero. Um, they're just not. So, you know, and people are hungry for information about engagement. Well, if you want to engage people, let them try their ideas. Have a, have a default stance to really open-mindedly consider an idea. Uh, we have a colleague here in, in Talent Plus, Brent Prue, who has created the following phrase, brutally open-minded. He says that when you you ought to be brutally open-minded, which means do what you can to escape your biases and your prejudgment about where the idea is coming from. And, and I had a philosophy professor who used to say, listen, suppose you're walking down the street and you found a piece of paper and it had an idea on it. You wouldn't know whether it came from the doctor or the cab driver. Uh, you'd have to consider the idea on its merits. And if you just take an, an, so if you eliminate, and, and by the way, if the cab driver has a lousy idea about your diet, and you, but you consider it on its merits, you're going to reject it 
not because it came from the cab driver, because it's not meritorious. And, and so uh, if, you, if you really make a conscious effort to say, wait a minute, they might be 18, but who's to say this isn't a good idea? You know, as they say in Nebraska, every once in a while, even a blind chicken finds a kernel of corn. And who's to say that this 18-year-old employee didn't just come up with an idea based on their complete ignorance. They're so ignorant that they see the situation different. They go, oh, and, and I, I'm going to, I'm going to, when we come back from the break, I'm going to tell you a story along these lines about a manufacturing company that was having problems with defects in the products as they were coming off the line and how they solved it. Boy, that's a teaser. Not only did you give me the blind chicken and the kernel of corn story, which I've not been in Nebraska my whole life, but I've been here long enough that I thought I might have heard that one, but that's new. Um, I will look forward very much to hearing that story. Uh, we're going to take another quick break. Uh, I don't know if you all have realized, but we really have a great time doing this podcast, and it's um in large part due to the fact that Larry is a phenomenal storyteller. And so right now, I just want to encourage you, if you have an organizational event coming up and you really want to focus on this middle management space that he is truly an expert in, as well as Kim Turnage, I just invite you to invite him in to speak. Um, He is phenomenal off the cuff. He has great, vast knowledge and great experience along these topics. And uh, he honestly, the very favorite thing that he loves to do is just be asked a question and presented with a really tough challenge and, and come up with a solution. So he's really phenomenal at that. So I'd encourage you, reach out to us. You can go to that manage to make a difference, um, dot com system and you can reach out to us there if you want to book Larry as a speaker. So we'll take and By a- the way, I, I might just show up and speak whether you invite me or not. <laughs> I, I, my wife said she's getting me a new bullhorn for Christmas. So um, be aware. He's coming your way, whether you want him to or not. (laughs) All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with our last segment here on Managing to Make a Difference. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Asked to manage your teams but wonder when or how? Join Talent Plus on-site with us or at your corporate office for a seminar built just for you. Leadership Toolbox focuses on individual engagement, talent and fit, team dynamics and growth, and creating a strength-based culture. This interactive, seminar-style format is just the set of tools you need for world-class team performance starting now. Reserve your spot today at talentplus.com. When managers make a significant impact, their teams are engaged, motivated, and excited. They love what they do. When those people work for you, you get results. Results matter, and people drive results. At Talent Plus, we've assessed millions of people over decades using our rigorous science to predict successful on-the-job performance and cultural fit with an organization's mission, vision, and values. 
Our online assessments and person-to-person interviews not only identify talents, but uncover a roadmap for success from a person's first day on the job to the day they retire. When people celebrate their talents, use them daily, and think about how to lead with their strengths, they help their companies grow, produce, and innovate. Want to learn more about empowering your people to help you do great things? Visit us today at talentplus.com. What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Managing to Make a Difference, and thanks so much for being with us this afternoon. We know your time is valuable, so we appreciate the time that you have given us. We're talking about embracing change and really encouraging suggestions. And Kim, you just had a real great thought that kind of wraps up this um, topic of when someone comes to you and presents an idea, and I wondered if you would kick us off with that. Yeah, as you said, Kim, in in every chapter we have a lesson and an experiment. And in this chapter, the experiment starts with this step. When an employee brings you an idea, even if you don't think it will work, begin by thanking him or her. And that is so important because thanking that person rather than shutting them down does the opposite of what shutting them down does. Shutting them down makes it very unlikely that they're going to ever bring you another idea. Thanking them and then openly discussing with the, the idea with them on its merits makes it much more likely that they're going to bring you another idea. And my guess is that the um, manufacturing story you alluded to in the last segment has a great story of a phenomenal idea. So I'd wonder if you'd share that with us. Sure. And, and uh, this is a true story I wish I could remember some of the details like what the product was or what the company was, but you don't need to know that to appreciate this story. A a manufacturing company was having problems. They were having defects. They They were manufacturing a product that had to be put into a tube and the tube would, the last step was the, the tube would uh, run down a conveyor belt and um, uh, it would be put into then uh, a box and, and shipped out. And they were finding that uh, despite the fact that they had people paying attention, some of these tubes weren't getting filled. It was just a defect in the system that they had. Some of these tubes weren't getting filled, so they were shipping uh, in a box. They were shipping an empty tube, and, of course, customers were paying for this and getting upset, and they had to return it, and it was costing all kinds of additional money and and, and creating customer satisfaction. So they had uh, some outside experts, engineers come in to determine how to uh, identify these uh, tubes that hadn't been properly filled. And they, they realized that the tubes 
weighed a different weight. The empty tubes weighed less than the, the uh, uh, full tubes. And so they put in, at, at a crucial location, they put in a scale so that as the conveyor belt ran over this, there was a scale there that would weigh the tube. And uh, when they found, when, when it identified a tube that didn't weigh what it should weigh, it would stop the line and some, some uh, manufacturing person would, would come over and take it out and start the line again, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, this gentleman who had to do this, he sat a ways away from this. So he had to get up, he had to walk over here, he had to get the thing, he had to, and uh, they caught almost all of them that way. And then a month later, uh, the plant manager was walking through and uh, he noticed that uh, where this conveyor belt was running, this uh, gentleman uh, who was not an engineer had set up a large fan. And uh, uh, the, the plant manager said, what's the fan for? Oh, and opposite the fan, there was a pile of empty tubes. And the guy said, well, oh, and, they, and by the way, they spent several million dollars on the, I forgot to mention the important fact, they spent several million dollars on the system to weigh the tubes uh, and install that system. And this guy set up a fan. So before it got weighed, it had to go by this fan. And because the empty tubes weighed so little, the fan would just blow them off the conveyor belt. The full tubes didn't blow off the conveyor belt. The empty tubes just blew off the conveyor belt. And they sat there in a pile. And he didn't have to get up every time and, and pick one up. And, you know, this fan cost probably less than $100. And they spent several million dollars installing the big uh, expensive system uh, that did the same thing, but not quite as efficiently. Uh, that's what happens when you unleash the creativity of your employees. Uh, but as, as Kim Turnage said, if you discourage ideas, you won't get them. So you don't have to create an incentive program to get more ideas from people. I assure you, people are full of ideas if you will just ask them. And in the last chapter, chapter 64, that we wanted to cover today, it really says don't strive for 100% buy-in. Let's talk about that for a few minutes. Okay, you're not going to get 100% buy-in. So striving for it, it doesn't make sense. When you're In a time of change, you're just not going to get 100% buy-in. And you, everybody listening knows this. You have, the, you have the mountain men type people who are in front of the pioneers. And they're the people who are exploring these new possibilities. Uh, like right now, people have been exploring uh, uh, driverless vehicles. Well, there were mountain men who were the first people who were building these things. And then you have the pioneers, right? Uh, the early adopters. And then you have the settlers who wait until the pioneers have done proof of concept. And they come in and they say, but you're going to have a group of people who never quit resisting. And my wife came back from church one day, and the pastor had uh, discussed the concept of the Back to Egypt Committee. And he pointed out that when Moses was leading the Israelites out of Egypt and they were wandering around in desert, there was almost certainly a Back to Egypt Committee of, of Israelites who were saying, you know, wandering around the desert isn't so great. Let's go back. Let's go back. So you're always going to have the Back to Egypt Committee but you don't need 100% buy-in to bring about 
significant change. If you don't think that's true, I want you to Google the Last Supper and look at that painting. How many people are there in that painting, Kim? Oh, goodness. Uh, Twelve, Twelve disciples and, and Jesus. Jesus right? So 13 people brought about the change that we all live with today. Uh, and Margaret, Margaret Mead's famous quotation, never doubt that a small group of committed people can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. So don't care about 100% buy-in. Go with the people who buy in. And more people will get on board and get on board as, as, as you have these different groups of people who are wired differently in terms of what they, their appetite for change and so forth. So just work with the people who buy in and move out and other people will join you. And even if they don't, carry them on your back. Don't be negative about them. Don't label them with some uh, insulting label. They're not with the program or whatever it is. Just invite them. And if necessary, carry them on your back. You and the people who believe with you will accomplish great things. Final thoughts, Kim, today on our episode and what comes to mind for you? That last point that Larry made can't be overemphasized, that when you are um, trying to manage and, and direct change in an organization, polarizing people, demonizing people who disagree with you, um, creating divisions uh, is not something that's going to help you. And so approaching that with compassion for those people who just may not be able to come o- overcome their fear, um, listening, empathizing, helping those people as much as you can, even to the extent, as Larry says, of carrying them on your back, is part of how you manage to make a difference. Great. Thank you again so much for your time today. We're going to wrap up this show, but I encourage you, if you missed any part of it, go back or share this recording with others. And until next week, manage to make a difference in your own organization. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us for Managing to Make a Difference with Talent Plus's Larry Sternberg and Dr. Kim Turnage. We hope these real-life management examples will help you manage teams across the globe. Just a reminder, this series airs on Voice America, the business channel, each Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. We hope you'll tune in next week for Managing to Make a Difference. Until then, put these practices into place and manage to make a difference.